the Monday morning moment for Sunday, February 6th, 2022 is what am I hearing in these messages, but not yet doing? What am I hearing in these messages, but not yet doing? In other words, am I just hearing these letters or these messages to the seven churches and just saying, well, that was over 2000 years ago and you're just blowing it off or you're listening respectfully, but then you're just moving on and there's no conviction, there's no challenge, there, there's no disturbance in the universe and you're not being uh, moved to change because if the messages aren't transformative, then they're probably not helpful. Amen. You know, I, I was just sharing with Marie this morning. I think I shared with you guys before a quote from Andy Stanley, where he said, if the message isn't portable, then it's not memorable. And I'm going to add to that. If it's not portable, then it's not memorable. Therefore, it's not doable. And what that simply means is if you're not extracting something from the message that is memorable enough to recall it during the week and during your daily life, chances are you're not going to practice or execute or walk that out in your daily lives. And that's, that's the goal that the goal in preaching, the goal in teaching, at least my goal is, is to get it from theory to practice, is to get it from the pages of scripture to everyday life. Or put another way, to get it from your head to your feet. Because that's, that's where we're evaluated. We're not evaluated on how much of this information that we give out every Sunday and Wednesday and second Saturday, we get no brownie points for how much we receive, for how much we observe. James 1.22 drives the conversation. Don't just be, don't just listen to the word, but we have to do what it says. The New Living Translation really renders that beautifully. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. F fooling me gets you nowhere. I don't know if it was Captain Penny. It wasn't Gullardi. I think it was Captain Penny that said, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool mom. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess you have to be a, a man of a, a person of a certain age, but I will say you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can never fool God and you can never really fool yourself. 
unless you're just going to live in a fantasy world and be disingenuous. You really can't fool yourself deep down inside. You know, if you're being hypocritical deep down inside, you know, if you're being dismissive, amen. Deep down inside, you know, if you're practicing what you preach. Okay. So three things we learned from last Sunday. Number one, the church at Pergamum or Pergamus, however you want to pronounce it. They learned that in Revelation 2.12, that the word of God is a two-edged sword. The actual Greek renders it two-mouthed sword, sword of the spirit. We learned that expression in Ephesians 6.17 a two-edged sword. We're introduced to that expression in Hebrews 4.12. But here we're talking about the sword of God's mouth, the word of God. That's what changes things for us. It cuts both ways from God's mouth to our mouth and from our mouth to the world, to those in our community. Two-edged, two-mouthed sword. The word of God is effective when we speak it forth, when it becomes rhema, the Greek word, R-H-E-M-A, rhema, the spoken, powerful, active word, the word that changes lives, the word that burns, the word that converts. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that the, the word, we are saved by the word. The word is what changes us. How can, how can he hear unless there be a preacher? And how can he preach unless he is sent? The word of God is what changes us. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, capital W, and the word was God, capital W. He is the word. The same was the word. He who walked in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is the word. The second thing I learned last Sunday, and maybe these are just things that I learned. Hopefully, you learned them. I like to do this little quick review before we jump to a new church. But I, revert, I learned that, that my job as a pastor is twofold. Number one, I'm tasked with, according to Colossians 1.28, I'm tasked with preaching, warning, and teaching everyone. And, and my goal and your job should be to be complete or perfect in Jesus. That's the job of a minister, to warn, to preach, to present everyone complete before Christ Jesus. So please help me do my job by doing your job, which is be a Berean, receive the word eagerly and study it daily. Acts 18, Acts 17, 11, rather. <laughs> Acts 17, 11, do it daily. And then the final thing that I learned last week um, is I want to understand repentance better. Repentance as in 
turning from my sins, forsaking my sins, not just being remorseful, not just being sorrowful, unless it's godly sorrow, but not just being remorseful, feeling bad that I got caught, feeling bad that I did it, feeling sorrowful, feeling remorse. No, I want to dis disown it. I want to forsake it. I want to despise it. And I want to turn to God to help me do better next time. Amen. Okay, so really quickly, this week, new church, Thyatira. Let's let's read a little bit of it, and then we'll just make this short because we have the Lord's table come up, and we don't want to be here too long. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, King James Version. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, four syllables, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And here goes this format. Here goes my four, the way I've outlined these messages to the churches. He will start with commendation, complimenting them. He'll then move to condemnation, where he will criticize constructively the things they need to fix. Then he will move to correction, which is providing a, providing a, a, a method or a way to get from where they are to where they need to be. And then finally, consolation or encouragement where he consoles them with expressions like, he that hath an ear should hear what the Lord is saying unto the churches. So that's the format that John goes through. Commendation, condemnation, correction, and consolation. Remember that. I know I've been saying it every week, but you're gonna see this throughout the next two chapters, chapters two and three, as we deal with the seven churches. So here's a commendation. I know your works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. He repeats works. I love that. And the last to be more than the first. So he says, you got some good stuff going on. You got some good works. You got some good service. Your charity, your love, your helpfulness, your patience, it's all good. Isn't that great? Wow. You know what? That would be a great place to start knowing that, Lord, I, I got this down. I'm doing well in this area. My patience, my faith, my service, my love, my works, my works again. And, it, you know, the reason, listen to this, the reason I think that's important is that later on he's going to come back and say in verse 25, that which you already have, hold on to that. Stay the course, stick with that until I come. Don't give up that. You may still have some work to do, but don't, don't forfeit what you've done. Don't lose sight of the progress you've made. You've come a long way. I'm talking to you guys that are listening this morning. We've come a long way. We may not feel like we're always on top of our game, we not, may not always feel like we're in the best place spiritually, but you've come a long way. Encourage yourself in the Lord, as David said. Sometimes no one else may see what you're doing. Sometimes no one else may give you a pat on the back. Sometimes no one else may send you a pick-me-up bouquet or give you an encouraging word, but sometimes you just need to say, thank God for where I'm at. 
Thank God that I'm here. I don't know how I got over, but I got over. I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. So praise God, I'm here. And I'm going to stay strong and I'm going to stay firm and I'm going to just keep moving, even if I'm making baby steps, even if I'm progressing microscopically, even if I'm only making nano steps, I'm going to just keep the faith. I'm going to keep pushing because at least I've gotten to this point and I'm not going to turn back. Be encouraged. I don't think I say that enough to you guys. If I had to just do two words to describe Revelation, one is repent, but the other one is rejoice. We have something to be thankful for. I like what Coach said. All, all components of prayer should include some form of praise and thanksgiving, whether regardless of what type of prayer we're praying. Even when I'm in dire straits of something I'm really seeking the Lord and I'm agonizing over, I try to always start my prayers by saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, I appreciate you. Lord, I'm grateful. Lord, I love you. Lord, I worship you. Lord, I exalt you. Lord, I give you praise. I don't want to be ungrateful and insensitive to where he's brought me from. I don't want to dismiss and disregard how I got here and what he's already done. I don't want to seem ungrateful and unappreciative for what God has already, and as to borrow Sister Cynthia's term, what he's already done, what he is doing, what he shall do, what he will do, what he's going to do. I want to thank God for that. Before I start begging and complaining and worrying about what I don't have and what I don't have, don't need or, or, or the things that I'm missing or the issues that I'm going through, I want to just pause and say, thank you. I acknowledge, Lord, what you've done in my life, what you're doing in my life, how you bless my life, how you saved me. I want to acknowledge that and be grateful. If you don't remember anything else I say for the rest of this sermon, which I'm going to be wrapping up here, if you don't remember anything else, if you don't remember anything I say about Thyatira, please remember what I've already said to strengthen those things. Hold on to what you've already accomplished. Stay the course with your patience, your works, your faith, your love, your charity, your faithfulness. Just stay the, just keep that. Hold on to that. And the Lord will build you from that. You can grow from there. You may have some of these other issues that I'm going to talk about here in a second going on in your life in one form or another, but just pause and thank God for where you are and ask him to help you get to where he wants you to be. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to skip some things that I was going to say because I kind of want this to kind of marinate in your spirits. But let me just say one thing uh, about the Lord's condemnation of this church. 
he says on down in verse 20, he says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you because you suffereth, I'm reading from the King James Version, that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. In other words, she was leading people into idolatry and immorality. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and then and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Let, let me just let me just say this. Um, I think most of us have heard the term Jezebel before. And I'm not sure if this was an actual woman in the congregation. I'm not sure if this was a group of people that had so-called so the spirit of Jezebel. By the way, the term Jezebel is not a term that any Jewish mother would have named their children during this time. Jezebel was synonymous with wicked, evil, horrible, godless, ruthless, domineering, just, just a most vile person. She, she just dogged her husband. She dogged other people. Her rap sheet reads like a mafia member. First thing she did when she took office as marrying the king of Israel, Ahab, who was just a spineless, weak, also wicked, horrible man, is that the first thing she did was order the, the extermination of all of the prophets. She had all the prophets, <laughs> she had all of God's men uh, killed in her. She exterminated that. It was her first act. You can find that in first Kings 18, how Elijah with a J escaped that purge is God's divine grace and mercy. But this woman was cruel. She murdered Nabal over a grape orchard. She put a hit out on Elijah said that if you're alive, you're alive tomorrow, then I'm going to be dead. She, she, she um, cursed God and, and caused the people to curse God and to disbelieve him as a result, as a result of to prayer and asking God to remove the drought they were experiencing. She was just bad. We refer to, we, a lot of us know the term Jezebel as it relates to makeup and face painting and a person that's just ostentatiously you know, looking like a temptress or looking like a streetwalker. We, we have our own connotations when it comes to Jezebel. But from a biblical standpoint, she represented the worst kind of person in the world, people that will lead other people away from Jesus, people that will seduce and corrupt other people not to follow God, the God of the Bible. That is Jezebel in a nutshell. If you had to put her in one sentence, it's people that lead other people away from Jesus deliberately, intentionally, with the purpose to deceive and to take them away from accepting the Lord. And by the way, that can be male or female. Balaam is another one. Balaam is the male version of that. 
one who would deceive and undermine God's people and seduce them. He used the same tricks. He went to Balak and said, hey, I can't curse Israel, but I tell you what we can do. You can get your women from Moab to infiltrate their ranks, seduce their men, and turn their men's hearts toward your pagan gods. And that's exactly what he did, and it was successful. And here Jezebel in the church of Thyatira was operating under the same spirit of the doctrine of Balaam, seduce and corrupt, distract and corrupt. That's, that's how the enemy works. He distracts us and then he puts the slip in on us. He gets us too busy, too busy caught up into life, too busy to pray, too busy to fast, too busy to study, too busy to meditate, too distracted with work, with careers, with money, with raising our families, with, with paying our bills, with making a living, with staying warm here in Cleveland. Too busy with all the other things of life. Not that, listen, listen, not that any of those things are bad. None of them are evil in and of themselves. None of them are harmful. But when taken in as a sum, when taken together, to the exclusion of spending time with God. It becomes an idol. It becomes a pagan. It becomes a major detriment. What starts off as a minor distraction becomes a seduction. Doesn't have to be sexual immorality. It can be immorality in any flavor. Anything that the enemy can do to keep us from receiving God's best, anything that the enemy can do to keep us out of God's presence, to keep us off our knees, to keep us out of the word, to keep us off of meditation, to get us away from the church, to keep us from worship, to keep us from prayer, to keep us from studying, fasting, and praying, and learning more about him. Anything the enemy can do to prevent us and preclude us from doing those things becomes a form of idolatry. You may say, well, Pastor Will, I ain't going to be worshiping no stone, no objects, no metal uh, images. We're going to be talking about that as we get more into Revelation and we com com compare it and contrast it with Daniel chapter 6 through 12. We're going to talk more about uh, objects and images. But let me tell you something. The enemy isn't dumb enough to try to get us to worship a thing or even a person or a philosophy, or an object. But what he will do is get us away from, get us distracted, get our attention off of those things that matter most. Isn't that how Peter started sinking when he was walking on the water? Peter was walking on the water. Dude, Dude was literally defying gravity, <laughs> breaking all the laws of the universe. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, the Bible says, as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, 
He was defying the laws of physics. He was doing the impossible. He was doing the unimaginable. In a storm, no less. And then all of a sudden, he started to consider his environment. He started to look at what was in front of him. He allowed himself to be informed by his eyes rather than his heart. Yes, 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 yes. He allowed his physical senses to take control of what his spiritual senses yes. knew to be a fact. Yes. He allowed what was happening to him in the physical world to supplant what he knew God could do in the spiritual world. He took his eyes off he who controls the sea, he who was the master of the tempest, he who invented the storm, the wind, the rain, the waves, he who made all things. He took his eyes off of him and rather than considering the creator, he started looking at the creation. And guess what? Dude dropped like a rock. Please don't allow yourself to get distracted. I know we live a busy life. I, I get it. I get it. I work two jobs, this, this job and my day job. I, I understand busyness. I understand how you can get distracted. I understand how we can get busy and how we can get into our own world and not have time. But we got to make time. We got to find time. We can't squeeze God into a, a, a McNugget minute. We can't squeeze God between our 1130 and 1135 appointments or Zoom meetings or team meetings. We can't squeeze God in between our lunch periods. God deserves more than that. He's better to us than that. How would we feel if God made us an afterthought or fitted us in wherever there was a possible opening in his schedule? God, I need you to heal me of cancer. I'm busy this week. God, but they only gave me three days to live. Uh, see you in heaven. What if God just dismissed our urgencies the way we dismiss the urgency to be with him? And I'm not saying things work. What I just said, there was hyperbole. I wasn't trying to say that that's how God considers our requests. Thank God he's so much more merciful. Thank God he doesn't treat us how we treat him. 
Thank God he doesn't put us in the same box and bind that we put him in. Thank God that he doesn't go tit for tat and say, well, this is what you did to me last week. Thank God he's bigger than that. Thank God he's better than that. Thank God he's more merciful than that. Thank God he's more gracious than that. And he doesn't put us in the same predicament that we put him into. What a mighty God we serve that he doesn't repay evil for evil. <laughs> That's my guy. That's what I'm talking about. But do I want to presume upon his grace? No. Do I want to take advantage of his kindness? No. Do I want to keep going back to that well? No. I need to get better. Yes. I need to be better. I need to be more faithful. I need to be more consistent. I need to find a way to spend time with the Lord that's meaningful, that matters, that moves the spiritual needle in my life. When you don't have the time, you need to find the time. Whether it's late or early. When I was a young teenager and I wanted to learn how to play the piano, and I wanted it really, really, really bad, not for anyone else, not for my mother, not for church. I wanted to play. I loved music. I wanted to play the things I could hear in my head. So you know what I did? I had to go to school. I had an after-school job. I was in programs. I was in committees. I was in stuff that, that required a lot of time as a student. I learned how to get up at 5 a.m. I gave up my pillow. I gave up my sleep and said, I want to learn how to play. And the only time I can cut out, the only time I can break off, the only time that I can do this where my focus is 100% and I'm not half sleep or half dead is the first thing in the morning. By the way, that's, that's how I learned. That's really how, I mean, you know, me and Adrian, we took lessons, but, but that's really, the, it was born there. It was born making that sacrifice that it was important enough for me to want to play in every key signature and learn every chord in the key signature that I could and try to master it, which I have not at 67. I'm still learning. Actually, I just bought another course the other day, uh, seanwilsonpiano.com on, on learning various modes of gospel music and how to be a better accompaniment, not a soloist, but how to help the singers, to help the choir. But still learning, haven't mastered it, because I realized that piano, especially, but music in general, is just pretty much infinite. You can never know it all. I feel the same way about the word and my time with God. I can never learn it all. I can never get enough. I can never get enough, so I want more. More of you, Lord Jesus, not more knowledge, not more information, not more data, but more of you, more of you in me, controlling me, owning me, guiding me, leading me, developing me, growing me. I need more of him. I can't do it by just trying to be a better person. I can only do it by being a more yielded person by being a more surrendered person, by being a more submitted person, 
by being a more humble person. Oh, I, I'm, I'm stopping. Not done as the <laughs> progressive lady on the commercial says, not the maid, not done, but I'm stopping. Gonna just call it, call it quits right here because I, I could say more, but I won't. So I'll pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We ask that it sinks into our hearts, that it changes us, that it makes us better. Most importantly, Lord, that it makes us like you. Lord, in this service today, may you be glorified in all that we do and say and think. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted. May you be praised and worshiped. And Lord, may your people that are on this line, in this connection, may we be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.